We're going to continue in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 today. There's some good stuff in chapter 3. In fact, I preached a lot from chapter 3. You've heard me preach from chapter 3 before. Uh, it's where Paul begins to realize that, and begins to tell his folks that these, these dear brothers and sisters, these friends of his, that you can't boast in your own, own accomplishments. That will get you nowhere eternally. He says, if anybody's got reason to brag, he does. And his pedigree is immaculate. It's perfect. You can't ask for a better pedigree. You can't ask for a better uh, resume. You can't ask for better experience. You can't ask for better results than what he produced through his own strength. But he says, I regard all of that as rubbish, as trash. Literally, it's a dung heap. He considers all of his own accomplishments worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's an amazing turn for a guy like that. But I'm not going to preach on that today. You're going to have to work on that one on your own. Then he goes on to say that he hasn't reached everything that he knows he needs to be yet. He hasn't reached complete maturity yet. He hasn't reached perfection. He hasn't reached heaven yet, what he's going to be like in heaven. But he says this, that he's continuing to press on towards that goal. And he's going to do that by forgetting what's behind and striving and looking ahead to looking forward to what's ahead. Where are his eyes? Are they in the rearview mirror? No. They're ahead of him. And what's ahead of Paul? I think we know this. What, what, where, where's Paul now? Right now, where's Paul? No, he's not in prison. He's in heaven. Right now in this moment, he's in heaven, right? Sorry, George. Didn't mean to confuse you. And for him, that was the ultimate goal, was heaven. To be reunited with Jesus face to face. And he's already gone through that, that internal struggle. You know, that's where I want to be. I want to be in heaven right now. And I'd rather be there right now. But I realize living for him now is pretty cool. It's amazing. It's abundant. It's full. And he says, for your sake, I realize that I'm probably going to be here for a little bit longer. But my goal is to be in heaven. Heard somebody say this week, there's a reason why in your cars, your rearview mirror is this big and your windshield is this big. But most of us try to live our lives looking through the rearview mirror. And he says you have to forget what lies behind and strive, press on to what lies ahead. What's your ultimate goal? What's your goal? There was a, a gentleman in a church growing up. And every time he would testify, he was one of those guys when my dad would open up the service for testimonies, you knew he would, he would stand up and he would say, and my aim is to make heaven my home one day. That's my goal. He never forgot his goal. Never. I think he was the kind of guy who woke up in the morning and remembered what his goal was. 
Many of us make lists of what you want to accomplish during the day. Some of you have actually laid out, made it, laid, laid out life goals of what you want to accomplish before this time on earth is done. But how many of us wake up in the morning and we say, you know, the most important thing I want to do is to make sure I live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life full of His grace. Live a life where I don't boast in my own accomplishments, but in the grace that He's applied to my life because I want to make heaven my home one day. That's my goal. I'm not going to preach on that either. So you just did. I want us to look at a passage a little past that, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, look, al- look along with me. Uh, there beside you. If you didn't bring your Bible today, there is a Bible around there. It's blue. Uh, it says NLT on it. It should be around page 709 uh, that you can find this passage. It's going to be in the, in the New Testament towards the end of the Bible, Philippians. And where, now George, where's Paul writing from? Prison. Thank you. Uh, he's, in, he's in heaven right now. He's, not, he's no longer in jail. Uh, but when he's writing this, he's from, he's from prison. And 14 times within this four chapters, he talks about being joyful and full of joy. And his main source of joy is the Philippians and how, what they're accomplishing through Christ in them. And then we get to three verses, 17 through 21. And honestly, I've, I love Philippians. This is probably the one I've done the most study in. But this passage is one I've never really dealt with. And I I hope in the next few moments that God just really speaks to us through this. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Why don't you stand with us as we read God's word together today? I think I may need to drink water. Hear God's word for us today. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think about only this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus lives and We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Then he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear what Paul said? Let's look at that first verse there. Dear brothers and sisters, first of all, we're reminded once again that he feels a great connection with these folks. He's called them beloved, loved ones, and now he he says, "You're, you're family to me. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, you are part of me. 
And then he says this, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure I like it. He says, pattern your lives after mine. How egotistical can you get? Look at me. I've got it all figured out. You know, if you want to see what this life is all about, go no further than me. How many of you, how many of you like that, that, that phrase? I have problems with it. Because I'm thinking, what a jerk. Arrogant. Egotistical. Isn't that what you've just been talking about? Not being Paul is not being arrogant? And here you go. Pattern your lives after mine. Follow my example. Be actually literally imitators of me. Back in the early 90s, there was a Nike commercial uh, that really talked about one of the reasons we don't like that phrase. And it's because we have a fear. And that fear is, first of all, of accountability. If you say, I want you to follow me, I want you to look at my example, I want you to imitate me, first of all, we're saying, are you doing this in a ha-ha funny way, imitating me? Or, or do you really want to pattern your life after mine? And if you do, that, makes, that places a huge amount of responsibility on me, doesn't it? Because if somebody is watching you, guess what? That means you're accountable. If somebody's watching how you talk, if somebody's act, watching how you react, if somebody's watching your, your devotional life patterns, if somebody's watching how you love others, if somebody's watching how you spend your money, if somebody's watching how you live your life, you feel a little more accountable. And we don't like accountability. We don't like anybody to hold us up to a standard. We, we don't want to be free. Free Charles Barkley in that early 90s Nike commercial. You may remember this one. If you don't, YouTube it. It's there. He said this, I'm not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be a role model. Just because I dunk basketball doesn't mean that I should raise your kids. Understand what Charles Barkley was saying, and I completely, wholeheartedly agree with half of that. The second half, never abdicate your responsibility as parents to athletes, movie stars, TV shows, the internet, or school system, or the church. It's your responsibility to be your own kid's role model. But what Charles Barkley is saying there is, I don't want to be responsible. If your kids follow me, I don't want to be held accountable to that. If I mess up, if I screw up, if I go down the wrong path, if I make the choices I want to make that you may not agree with, and your kid follows my example, don't hold me accountable for that because I'm not a role model. Well, in reality, he was a role model. And is still today. People look at him. 
If he can get away with it, why can't I? But I think the, the big reason why we don't want to be a, a role model, we, we don't want to be an example, why we have a problem with Paul saying that is, is what if we fail? What if we blow it? What if I have somebody counting on me and I'll fall flat on my face? And I think we in the church, that's why we're scared of that phrase. Don't put me on a pedestal because I'm just going to let you down. Don't put your pastor on a pedestal because they can let you down. Don't put TV preachers on a pedestal because they can let you down. Don't put Christian athletes on a pedestal because talk about pressures. They can let you down. We're scared we're going to fail. And we don't want anybody watching us when we fail. And we don't want to let anybody down if we fail. Toby Mack, uh, you may be familiar with him, Christian artist, phenomenal talent, has an ability, you know, he's older than me, but understands youth culture in a way that I will never will, and he still does tours all over the place. But before he was Toby Mack, he was Toby McKeon, back when he was with DC Talk, back in the day. Uh, that's more when I got to know him. Uh, but one of their uh, kind of mid-albums, um, he wrote a song with another guy, and it's called, What If I Stumble? And the lyrics talk about this. It's the realization that there are people... For him, he realized that he was being placed on a pedestal. People were watching him. People were setting him up as an example. Look at Toby Mac. You know, he's an awesome guy. Be like Toby Mac. Listen to Toby Mac. I will buy you CDs of Toby Mac. I will take you to a Toby Mac concert. And he wrote these words. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Will the love continue, the love from others? Will the love from God continue when my walk just becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? What if I fall? How many of you are there? Don't look at me because I may screw up. Don't watch me because I'm weak. Don't watch me because I'm prone to failure. Don't look at me. Don't pattern your life after me. Well, Paul knew the awesome responsibility of the phrase he was saying. He didn't take it lightly. He took it so seriously that if you read through, through the, the letters that he wrote, uh, you have phrases like you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He said, I am trying my best to live the gospel out. I'm living in such a way that heaven is my goal, and I'm taking this seriously. I'm training spiritually, just as any athlete would train for the Super Bowl, 
for the World Series, for the Olympics. I'm working that hard on my salvation, as we talked about a few weeks ago, so that you can look at me Maybe one reason we are scared to say, pattern your lives after me, is because we're scared to do what it takes, or we don't have the discipline to do what it takes, or we don't want to do what it takes to become someone to follow. Pattern your lives after mine. That's what Paul's saying. But he's saying, don't just pattern your lives after mine, but pattern, the, pattern your lives after those who are following me. And you realize that when he says that, he's not saying, I'm all it. Because if you read the first three chapters of, uh, of the previous chapters, he's saying, I am completely Christ's. I'm following Christ's example. I'm trying to live out Christ here on this earth. And if you want to see a living example of that, I'm trying to be the best that I can be at that. So go ahead and follow me. And there are others that are around me who are doing the same thing. There are leaders in your church in Philippi who are doing the same thing. So pattern your lives after them. There are people who have stepped up the plate and say, I am willing to live a life where I can be an example to others. I'm willing to put in the work it takes to be an example to others. I'm willing to, to rearrange my priorities in such a way that I can be an example to others of what faith is all about. So he says, pattern your lives after mine and, follow, and learn from those who have followed our example. I'm reminded of what he said to, to Timothy. Timothy was his protege. Timothy was one he would train, and you have to understand, in first century teaching, the pedagogical model was, don't just pass me information, pass me example. Don't just tell me how to do it, show me how to do it. Don't just talk about it, do it. So here we have Paul saying, as you followed my example, I want you then to be an example. Don't let anybody look, out, look down on you because you're young, but you instead be an example to everyone, to all the believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. You be the example. Well, he's just saying that to Timothy, Matt. He's not saying that to me. I don't have any leadership in this church. I just, I just come. I just want to come. I don't want anybody to look at me. And yet we hear Paul's words echo in each one of our heads. You be the example. Because we're all following somebody, whether you believe it or not, and someone is following you. Someone's watching you. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, the country song by Rodney Atkins. I'm watching you. Heard that? You've heard that song before. Uh, it's a, it's a cool little country song. 
uh, it, starts, it goes this way. He says, driving through town, just my boy and me, and some of you are humming along right now, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone, except it's gone, the way he says it. Couldn't have his toy till his nuggets were gone. Uh, a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word. It started with S, and I was concerned. And I said, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? And the honesty of a four-year-old. I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. I eat all my food and grow up as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. Parents, have you ever seen your kid do something and you say, wow, that's a mirror? We have two really good mirrors in our house. And I hear what I've said come back as they try to leverage that kind of force on each other. Uh, they watch us. And I have a little boy who, if I'm doing it, he wants to do it. He's watching me. I don't want to be an example. I may fail. I don't want to be an example because I don't want to be responsible for how he may turn out if he watches my life. I want to be able to make my own adult choices. I want to do what I want to do. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to listen to what I want to listen to. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to be held accountable by just, just because a four-year-old may be watching me. But he's watching me. I can't keep him from watching me. I'm his dad. But you know, there are more than just your kids that are watching you. And this is an awful pressure to put on somebody. And maybe this is why, one reason why we don't want to really admit to the fact that we are a Christian or we're Christ followers or we go to church is because as soon as somebody finds that out, then they watch us. As soon as we say, hey, why don't you come to our church? They begin watching you. I don't want to be held all to that accountability. I don't want to be held up to that kind of standard. What if I mess up? What if I blow it? Paul says, be an example. Be an example. I'm an example. Timothy, you be an example. Each of us need to be an example of what Christ's likeness is here on earth. And you realize it's not just about a bunch of rules, right? The section he just got through with in chapter 2 was all about thinking of others as more important than yourselves. Living Christ-like means loving someone, not putting yourself first, being completely selfless. Can you be that kind of example here on earth? We're all going to follow somebody, and somebody's following you. 
Because he realizes in the Philippian church that there is another option. There are people within that congregation who don't understand what he's been talking about. Who decide, you know, I've, got, I've been saved, I can do what I want then. I, I've been saved, I can live however I want. I, I've been saved, I can... It doesn't matter. Don't watch me, because I want to do what I want. And Paul says, there are people who are watching these folks. And they're following these folks. And he says in verse 18, For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears. This is how serious he was about these folks getting it. Saying it with tears in his eyes that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of Christ. And we read that and we say, how in the world are they enemies of Christ? What are they doing? They must be devil worshipers. They must be uh, killing people. They must be uh, kidnapping. They must be dealing drugs. They must be awful, horrible people. And this is how they are actually enemies of Christ because, verse 19, they're headed for destruction. Now, what's that mean? Well, because they have put their faith in their appetites, pleasures from the world, and the only thing they think about is the life here on earth. He says, there are people in that church who have decided that they don't want to pattern their life after Christ, but they're going to look to get everything they can out of this life. They're going to feed their appetites. They're going to feed their desires no matter what. They are going to feed what feels good because that's what life here is all about. They're going to feed it. And Paul says, go ahead, feed it all you want. But guess what? When, when your body's gone, then that's all there is. So ultimately, for them, their end is not life. What is it? It's destruction. Their bodies are going to end, and that's going to be it because that's all they've invested in. That's all they focused on is getting and filling. And I wish Paul kind of gave us a list of what those behaviors were, but it's not so much about the behaviors as it is the attitude. The attitude that says, what is I see before me is more important than the hereafter. What's that look like for me? Gabby and I, we, uh, we're at District Assembly, and we sponsor and have sponsored Carlos through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries for about a year and a half, two years now. And we've watched him grow up. He's 15 now, uh, and he sent us a little letter. He's from uh, Guatemala, so the kids have been able to pass letters back and forth in Spanish, and it's, it's been really neat to see him grow up. And then we were at assembly, and Dr. Biddendorf, the general superintendent, said, well, here, um, there, I have a bunch of kids that need to be sponsored. And we just both looked at each other and said, okay, we have two kids. We're going to sponsor two kids. That's $50 a month. $50 a month, they get food, they get education, and they get to meet Jesus. It's a pretty cool investment for 50 bucks. $49 a month 
I can have a new TV. I really need a new TV. You've been to my house. You see my TV. It's a hand-me-down from my dad. It's about this big, but I think the screen's only this big. I really want a new TV. I go into Sam's, and Sam's has this awesome one. 80 inches. Yeah, Alan, 80 inches. It's from here to there. I could put that thing on the side of my house. Y'all want to watch games? Come over to my house. That would be awesome. And God, I'm saying, God, I don't need 80 inches. Give me 40. I'm not asking for 80. 40 for $49 a month, I could do that. And I can afford $49 a month. But that's looking for the here and now, isn't it? When with $50 a month, I'm investing in the eternal destiny of two kids that I'll probably never meet on this side of heaven. Just one example. How short-sighted are you living? We get so wrapped up in the problems of the here and now that we forget verse 20. That this is not what it all is. Because our citizenship is where? Is heaven. You're citizens of heaven, so live like it. Buy like it. Prioritize like it. Treat others like it. Love like it. Be like it. Be citizens of heaven who understand that this isn't it. Don't be follow the example of those, or don't set the example for someone else. that here is all there is. You may not believe it, but is your life living that out? We're citizens of heaven, and you know who lives in heaven right now? Paul, yes, I was waiting for that one. Thank you. Somebody else is living in heaven. It says it right there. Our Lord Jesus Christ lives there. But he ain't staying there. He's promised he's going to come back one day. For Paul, how do, you, how do you live this life as an example? How do you take the mantle on of being a leader in your family? I'm not just talking about with the finances. I'm talking about a spiritual leader in your family. How do you take on the mantle of being a leader, an example for your kids to follow? How do you take on the example of being an example in your small group, in your grow group? of saying, you you know, I'm trying my best to figure this out. Why don't you come along and and learn from me? How do you take on the mantle of at your place of business saying, I'm a Christian, I'm doing everything I can to follow Christ. I'm working and striving hard for that. How do you take on that mantle? Well, he reminds us, we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 12, just what Paul had just said. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, and those witnesses are the, the heavenly witnesses, the saints that have gone before us, but I think we could read in 
since we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses that watch us every day, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips up. Uh, trips, us up, trips us up, and let us run with endurance the races that is set before us. How in the world do you do that by this? Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes constantly on Jesus. Keeping your eye constantly on the prize. How can you possibly be an example for someone else to follow? Because you're not figuring it out by yourself. You're following somebody else, and that's Jesus. You keep heaven as your goal, and you see Jesus before you, calling you on, correcting you, leading you, guiding you, helping you, empowering you. I'm reminded once again of the, the Olympics that we just watched, and every one of them had a coach. And if you, if you paid attention, you could hear the coach during the races, during the swims, during the workouts when they were doing gymnastics. You could hear the coach saying, here it is, do this. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. And for many of them, it was the coaches who showed them how to do it. You want to be an example? Take seriously the task of following Jesus. Take it seriously. Work as hard as Paul did because somebody's watching you. Somebody is. Now, some of you right now may just feel a, a ton of guilt because you say, I've been a horrible example to my kids. They've watched me and I've seen him make the same decisions I made. I know so many parents who live lives of regret because of the choices that they've made. But you can't go back and reparent your kids. If your kids are still young, you can begin to make some changes. You can be that dad who is the example of Christ to them. You could be that mom who is the example of Christ to them. You could be that person. But for those of you who have blown it, confess it. Confess it. And you know, it may not hurt to go to your kids one day and say, you know, I'm sorry. I was a horrible example to you. I led you down a wrong road. Forgive me. But there's some of you right now who I know the Holy Spirit's saying to you, it's time for you to step up and be a leader. It's time for you to step up and be the example in life. It's time for you to step up and say, you know, I'm tired of standing on the sidelines. I'm ready to lead the way. I'm ready to lead somebody else to Christ. I'm ready to lead somebody in discipleship. I'm ready to lead somebody. I'm ready to do the work and to, to allow myself to say, 
God, have all of me so that I can be an example to somebody else. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to step up and say, I'm willing to be an example? Are you that serious about your faith? Are you tired of saying the excuses, I don't want to be responsible, and what if I fail? You just say, I want to do the work it takes to keep my relationship with Christ so rich that you can follow me. to bow your heads right where you are. And I want to pray for you specifically. And if there's a distraction around you, try to close your eyes and get rid of it and not focus on that distraction and just focus with you and God right now. Are you ready to be that example, that leader? If you hear God calling you to that, I want you to say yes. I want to pray for you. Lord, forgive us for settling. Forgive us for our fear. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for our failures. Lord, you've called us to be light in this world. You've called us to be an example of who you are. You've called us to be you with flesh on here. Lord, do that in me. Lord, I'm ready to be that disciple, that follower. I want to be Christ to someone in this world. I want to say to my little boy and little girl, follow my life because if you follow me, you're going to make it to heaven. I want to say to everyone here today, follow me. And if you follow me, you're going to make it to heaven. Lord, it's my prayer that there would be 80 people here today who would say the exact same thing. That, have, that would have the courage to say, I'm ready to be an example of what this is all about. I'm ready to have people to look at me, to hold me accountable. I'm ready to be a leader. I'm ready to be an example. I'm ready to say to my family, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. I'm ready to say to those I work with, follow me and I'll take you to heaven. Follow me because I'm following Jesus. Or grant us that strength to keep our eyes on you. To not be weighed down or distracted by the things in this earth that really don't matter. 
but help us to truly keep focused on heaven as our goal and take in as many people as we can with us. May none of us get to the gates on that day and say, I'm just here by myself. Help us to be the example so that when we make it, there are dozens who follow behind us who say, I'm here because of them. Thank you for our time. Continue to, to work on us in the next few moments in our grow groups. Continue to work on us through the remainder of this day. And Lord, may we all be closer to those people that you've called us to be because of your work in our lives today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stay with me.